Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the church lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions that you would like to get answered about the Bible, email your questions into info at grove.church. That's info at grove.church, or even find us in the church lobbies, message us on Facebook. We want to answer your questions, but obviously we can't get to every single question. So what we do at the last Friday of every month, we put together a Q&A episode where we go over all the questions that we receive for the month, or at least we try to. Um, and yeah, those are quickly becoming me and Evan's favorite episode every single month because uh, some of the questions we get are massive curveballs that we've never even thought of things that way because, yeah. I don't know, let's be honest, we grew up in church and so sometimes we just accept things for what it says um, and we never have to really think. Um, and you know, obviously this last week, if you listen to it, um, we were a week behind, but quite simply... Easter was crazy, and so true. we wanted to do our best job of answering these questions, but it will happen the last Friday of this month. But with that, I'm ready for this week. Evan, are you ready for this week? I'm ready for this week. Let's hop into it. So I love the way that the uh, the days actually landed uh, for, the, for the sake of the podcast, because last week we got to really focus in on uh, the end of Moses in the sense of the end of his ministry and also the end of his life. Uh, we wrapped up the book of Deuteronomy, and this week we're talking about Joshua, and really the beginning of his ministry, and uh, what happens directly after Deuteronomy. Um, You brought up when we were talking before about how it's kind of like the relationship between Luke and Acts, where Acts picks up right after Luke ends. Uh, Similarly with Joshua, Joshua picks up right after the end of Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's like first and second Deuteronomy. There you go. (laughs) But it's a a really great thing. And so a couple interesting things about the book – the book is most likely written by Joshua himself, although the book is anonymous, so we can't confirm that for certain. But when you're reading through the book, um, it becomes obvious that this is not written after the fact, um, but really it's written as these things are happening. It's an eyewitness account uh, to people who uh, – of someone, probably Joshua, but of someone who is observing these things as they happen. It doesn't read like something that takes place decades after. Yeah. I mean, regardless of who writes it, Joshua or somebody else, it's somebody that's near to Joshua. Right. So it's a firsthand account, and that's what's most important here because um, a lot of history um, that's written, um, it's written, you know – years and years and decades and even hundreds of years after. But that's what's so important about Joshua. And even like the Gospels, they're written in close proximity to when it happened. Yeah. And the nice thing about Joshua really is, um, as far as just reading goes, is uh, we've really gotten through the the hard chunk. The gauntlet. So yeah, con- congratulations, everyone. Uh, we are... Uh, can we put a clapping track in that for people? I can figure something out, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we uh, we finished through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, which are obviously very uh, heady books, not a ton of narrative in there, a little bit more in Deuteronomy, but um, very concerned with the law, very concerned with kind of just uh, repeating measurements and things like that. And so Joshua begins really a string that goes through Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. All of them are extremely narrative-based, um, so they're going to be really kind of easy reads, but also um, some of the most fun things to talk about, because I think as humans, we love stories. We love um, processing information by story, and so we're yeah. going to get to talk about a lot of those coming up. Uh, and the book of Joshua can be divided into three different parts. And so if we're looking at the story of the book, there's really three acts to the story. So the first act is chapters 1 through 12. 
and it would be the conquest of Canaan, or in other words, uh, this land that God had promised. Remember, uh, God shows Moses the promised land. He's not able to go into it. Uh, Joshua is going to be the one who leads the people of Israel. The first 12 chapters of this book are concerned with Israel basically going through and conquering cities and, and taking hold of the land that God has promised for them. The second part would be the division of the promised land. And so, once uh, the conquering is done, um, and not all the conquering, it's interesting that we actually see Israel is at war um, pretty much all through Judges, uh, through King David's reign in particular as well. We really don't see extended periods of peace until King Solomon, which is you know, way in the future right now. But the land that is conquered is divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the final few chapters kind of echo the end of Deuteronomy, where we see the end of Joshua's ministry, um, similar to the way that we saw the end of Moses's ministry. And finally, if we're looking at a theme in Joshua, it, it really is about God's faithfulness to his people. It's about the fact that God is fulfilling his promise. He has promised the people this land. They're coming in, they're taking possession of it. And also just how faithful God is to actually um, fulfill the promises that he made. And I think it's really um, the two stories that are very early in the book, and they're probably the two most famous stories that we know from Joshua, is uh, the parting of the Jordan River, which if you're thinking, boy, this sounds familiar, uh, I think that's intentionally so. It's, it very much echoes the parting of the Red Sea. And I think it's God's way of showing that uh, this mantle of anointing and leadership that was on Moses has passed to Joshua. Um, maybe he's not, you know, as great a prophet of leader as Moses was, because again, in the end of Deuteronomy, it says that no prophet like Moses has arisen since. Um, but God has clearly anointed Joshua for leadership, and God uses him for some incredible things that we'll read later. Um, one of those things is, again, the other famous story from Joshua, which is probably the one that we know the most, is that... Uh, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, which is a, a great children's song for uh, for Christians. But if you don't know it, it's the one that goes like, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. It's a good yeah. – listen, it's in my – and the walls came tumbling down. It's a good song, bro. You is sh- that the one where you do your hands like this? Obvi- every Christian kid's yeah. song is you had hand motions to it. I mean, why would you not? So uh, I do – you just – Unlocked a vault of children's ministry. You're, you're welcome. Real kids, K I D Z. That was my 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 children's ministry growing up. Has to be a Z in there. And we sang that song. And when the walls came tumbling down, we would take our, uh, we make two fists and we'd roll them over each other. Much awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, hey, you're the one that brought it up. That's fair. That's fair. There's. Also- I always think of the Veggie Tales. That's a great song, yeah. too. The keep, keep walking, walking for you won't knock down our walls. Wall. Keep, keep walking. Dude, I didn't realize for the longest time that um, the French peas are spoofing like the Monty Python scene where the French guys are like throwing stuff down at the at King Arthur and everything. But, you know, the more you know. Da, 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 da. But yeah, so there you go. Um, back on track to let's be serious about this here for a second. Um a major theme that you're going to see in the book of Joshua, um, but not just there, really in the whole Bible, is this idea that um, God oftentimes moves in a way that we cannot accept credit for it. And so in Judges, you're going to see this a ton. There's some miraculous deliverance that happens for the people of Israel. Um, and in the Battle of Jericho, what we see is the Israelites come up uh, to this city, which has massive walls, like just incredibly thick, uh, large walls. 
Um, and to us today, it would probably be a little bit intimidating, but they didn't have bombs. They didn't have anything that could really besiege it. And they didn't even have like, you know, think like medieval yeah. uh, siege weapons. They don't have catapults, trebuchets, rams, all these different things. Like they really are kind of a, a primitive mm-hmm. uh, people looking at this incredible city and thinking like, okay, well, how are we going to take care of this thing? Yeah. And on top of that, the way that the walls were situated, um, Jericho is kind of built on kind of like a hump in a, in a way and the walls were, a hill you might call it yeah a, a hill but it's I've, I've actually been there so it's not like okay. a hill that you would be like oh that's a hill you'd look at it and it's kind of just a gradual hump like okay. i know that sounds like really weird but um these walls um we we looked it up we we couldn't re- figure out how tall they were but basically we we figured out that they were about 30 feet give or take and what happened was they would build them up on top of the, the the hump a little bit to give it even more height for more protection. Right. Not only that, these walls were so thick that they were racing chariots on top of them as well. It's Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you think about like um, if you're walking up to the base of the wall and looking up, it's about 30 feet, which is super tall. Like yeah. it's one of those numbers that you just kind of say out loud, but you don't think about how tall it is until you actually look at something that's 30 feet. Yeah. But if you're at the base of the hump, you know, let's say as it's another 15 or 20 feet. Yeah, it could look like 50, 70 feet tall from where you're at. This Easily. Is, this is a, an incredibly um, massive structure. It's yeah. similar to like if you look at medieval castles, how they're all situated on top of uh, hills like this with tall walls. Like Jericho is not an easily conquerable place. Yeah. And on top of this, um, let's just talk about like the sheer magnitude of what you're viewing. There was a second wall behind this wall that was also sitting on the hill. So it was even higher. Can so never have too many walls. Can't ever have too many. Well, you could. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> no. Jericho obviously didn't have enough because we know the ending. But, um, I mean, you're looking at it. And let's say that it's another, you know, 28-foot wall, but it's up another, you know, 28 feet, whatever. Right. Your wall just went from being about 75 feet to looking like it's almost 100 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And. I would assume they would, and we don't know the thickness of the second wall or even what wall they were talking about. But like, let's be honest, you don't have, you don't have explosives. You don't got weapons. You got a word from God that you got to do this and this is your land. And it's kind of where the rubber meets the road for Joshua. It's, do you trust me? Yeah. And I don't want to get too far into everything because we're going to talk a lot about uh, the stories of Joshua as we're moving forward. But really the idea is God destroys Jericho in a way that Joshua and the people of Israel could not take credit for it. He tells them, march around it for six days. Uh, people are going to laugh and jeer at you. On the seventh day, march around it seven times, and then the walls are just going to fall. Yeah. Um, no one watches that and says, like, wow, the Israelites are really good at walking. That's incredible. <laughs> like, you're, Man, They march in such a straight line. Boy, the way they march, obviously the walls had to fall. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's structured in a way that we come away from it as readers and the people who are watching this happen come away thinking uh, God delivered us in this moment, not we delivered ourselves, which again, huge theme throughout the whole Bible. Yeah. And and with that, before we move on to Psalms 94, um, with that, when we were in Israel and I was at Jericho, they mentioned to us that the reason they know that this was a God miracle, not a natural occurrence, like from like an earthquake or something is because the archeology span there, it it indicates that the walls fell straight down. Whereas if an earthquake happened, there would be, you know, remnants of the wall scattered, but it was literally straight down. 
And so that's almost just, like an implosion type thing. Yeah, literally. And um, obviously, um, that's uncommon. And so it's just, it, it speaks to the miracle and the archaeology backs it up. So I hope that encourages you and your faith a little bit. But we are going to Psalms 94 uh, as we continue. Um, and I love Psalms 94. And as we were prepping for this, you know, I, I was reading it. And I think it's just such a it's such an interesting passage because we talk about God and we talk about his love and his grace for us. Um, but man, I love Psalms 94 verses 12 through 15. And I think it's a good reminder for me because as I lead and as I am encountering, uh, you know, new people that are new believers, um, the idea of God when you first become a Christian can kind of get um, skewed because you recognize his grace, so much grace. Like sure. you recognize, man, I was such a horrible person. You sent your son to die for me. And now I respond to that grace to where we can almost take that grace to an extent. Paul even mentions, and we've said it before, uh, shall we keep sinning? So grace abounds by no means. Right. But we can sometimes be hypocrites in that. And we can just say, man, I love God because of the grace he has for me. But everybody knows, and I'm sure the parents that are about that are listening to this and what I'm about to say are going to be like, yeah, that's 100% true. Man, if you don't discipline your child, I have serious questions if you love them or not. Right. Yeah, you've seen uh, a lot of children running around who are not disciplined by their parents, and it's very rarely um, – very rarely leads to healthy adults. Yeah. And, and I think that the swiftest way – or excuse me, the swiftest way, the best way sometimes to show grace to people is kind of a swift kick in the butt of discipline and not physical kick in the butt. I mean that yeah. in like the most, um, you know, I'm not telling you to hit your kids is what I'm trying to say. But um, our God, we've said it a lot. Our God is a God of grace and truth. And, you know, as long as we have a mixture of both, um, I think we can really help develop um, future generations. But Psalms 94 verses 12 through 15, we're just going to read this. It says, joyful are those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. You give them relief from troubled times until a pit is dug to capture the wicked. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. Judgment will again be founded on justice and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. And I love that last phrase, those with virtual, virtual, those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. I've never one time like sought judgment and discipline and discipline. Like, like that's something that is so countercultural to, to where we're at in just the, the day and age we live in. It, it, it's almost as if you say anything that is contrary to what somebody believes. It's like a personal attack almost. Mm. And, and I just, I want us to be people that, you know what, like, let's never get so arrogant in the way that we're living our lives to say, I don't want anybody to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't, I don't think that's healthy. I, I have people in my life, even Evan in my life, as we're talking about, you know, the, these podcasts and stuff, like we have honest conversations and right. Hey, I don't agree with this or Hey, we're, we're off, you know, a little far on this or whatever. And we come to an understanding. And the reality is if we just did our own thing. And this is not just in the podcast. I'm talking in life. Um, we're going to fail. Like it will get to a point where everything was either handed to us or there was this, you know, this, this perfect world of, you know, the sun is always shining and, and, you know, we're just skipping through life and rainbows and we have a white picket fence and a family and a dog named Spot. And you're really going far with this analogy it's right true now. It's true though, but it's, it's the reality is, 
our God is a God who wants to bless us, but our God is a God who also wants us to live our best life. Yeah. And best life doesn't mean blessing. Best life sometimes means discipline. Yeah. Some of the most um, important conversations in my life have been hard conversations. Um, but it's, you know, people correcting me, like saying like, hey, I'm noticing this in your life. This doesn't line up with the way that you need to be living. Um, and obviously, like, you need to have a relationship with people. Just don't go around, like, shouting at strangers. But, um, like, whether it be pastors, friends, uh, my parents, like, people I trust um, pulling me aside and really talking to me, those are some of the most important conversations. It's a, it's a very loving thing yeah. for God to do. Yeah. So, moving forward, uh, we're actually reading two different epistles this week. Uh, we're reading the entirety of the book of Ephesians. Ooh. And and then we're also uh, starting off Philippians. And so we'll spend a little bit of extra time in Ephesians this week because we're going to be reading through the whole thing. Uh, Ephesians and Philippians are actually very similar, uh, not in terms of their content, but in terms of uh, they were both written by Paul and they're both written in the early 60s. And so during this time, Paul is in prison in Rome, whether it's house arrest or whether he's actually in prison at these different points. Um, He's basically stuck in Rome until he dies. And if you don't know the whole story, um, there's a fire in Rome. The emperor Nero at the time uh, blames Christians and Paul is one of the people uh, beheaded uh, because of this whole, because of everything that's going on. Spoiler alert. Sorry, spoilers. Yeah, Paul, well, it's not even, it doesn't spoil. Well, it doesn't even, matter because he's he's not alive anyway. I don't think today, it's even so. in the Bible that Paul dies. I think that's like a historical thing. Yeah, is that know. a... Uh... Um, Josephus commentary. I don't remember who I think it writes is. it down. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, all that aside, uh, Paul is uh, awaiting judgment. Uh, he probably knows that he's most likely awaiting death at this point, and so he takes this time uh, to write letters to different churches, and they're very different from the letters he writes when he's on his missionary journeys. These ones, you kind of get old man Paul a little bit, um, a little bit mellowed out, and he's writing letters. Uh, to different churches who are writing him while he's in prison. And so, uh, like many of the Pauline letters, though, the book of Ephesians, we can break it down into two different parts. And so, with you, you'll see this structure with a lot, of the letters that, a lot of the letters that Paul writes. The first half is dealing with a doctrinal issue. So, whether it's maybe there's an issue that he's specifically writing about, or like in Romans, where he's just basically fully laying out the gospel, um, all these different things. So, in chapters one through three, of Ephesians, we see a doctrinal section, and then in chapters four through six, we see a practical application of that doctrine. And so, be paying attention to that. It's a really easy way to read it. And one verse I wanted to highlight, or rather a section of verses that I wanted to highlight is probably the most famous verses from Ephesians, but it says this in Ephesians 2 uh, verses 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God before, uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah, and I think it's it's such an important reminder for all of us, and I think Paul is is really good about reminding us in his in his different letters that um, we cannot become arrogant as Christians. We need to remember that it's not our own works that have saved us. And again, similarly, like we said, this is a theme all throughout the Bible. The Israelites need to remember it's not us who brought down the walls of Jericho. It's God who did it. Yeah. It's not us who were able to earn our salvation, but rather God earned our salvation. Jesus, through the work of Jesus, uh, earned our salvation, which I think is is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's like we, I, I feel like we're beating a, de- a, a dead horse on this. Or, or feeding a fed horse. Or feeding a fed horse. Yeah. <laughs> Where 
we say, you know, our God is a God of grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, because it's not about just grace. There is an ownership on our end as well. That that when it says we have been saved by grace through faith, right? That is ownership on our end. That's not just, oh, we have faith because of God's grace. If we had faith because of God's grace, every single person on this planet would have faith. But it's a it's an indication of saying, no, there is ownership on our end. You know, when when we are encountering students that are saying, Well, I just don't feel God. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm asking myself, like, well, what are you doing to encourage yourself in your faith? And a lot of times you're like, Well, I'm not. And I'm like, well, there you go. Yeah. You know, th- there is an ownership on our part. And yes, the Holy Spirit will sustain us and give us the grace to continue to have faith. But the reality is we have been saved by grace through faith. Well, with that, we are going to be um, concluding the book of Mark, um, and we are going to be landing in Mark chapter 16. Yeah, wrapping up our fourth uh, gospel. We're fourth ready. gospel, ready to go. Um, and let's be honest, the the... The gospels are like the bread and butter of like Christianity because without mm-hmm. it, like we wouldn't know who Jesus is. We wouldn't know all of the signs and wonders that he's done. We would just kind of have like a lot of people writing um, about some stuff that a guy did, but no real narrative of who that person was. And so the gospels, um, I don't know, they're, I love them. And it's not that they're more yeah. important than any of the other Bible, but it gives us an insight on to who the most important person to ever walk this earth was. And the ending of Mark 16, um, I want to point this out because um, I'm sure there are some of you that as you're reading this, you you are going to notice um, either your Bible is or your Bible doesn't have uh, verses nine through twenty in verse um, sixteen or in chapter sixteen, um, or um, it's going to have some sort of subset about it. And I want to get into this a little bit so I can give you a little bit of a framework to work through this. Um, the ending of Mark chapter 16, um, it wasn't written by the writer. That much we know is true. Um, verses 9 through 20 were added alongside much after verse 8 because some felt as though it was almost incomplete. It kind of leaves um, like nothing was tied together after verse 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and And – Here's the deal. I want to be very clear. This isn't bad. Okay. This this isn't bad that this happened. We we have these um these you know scriptures that say don't ever add to this whatever. Um, but we have to re- we have to understand that in context. Um, we need to understand that what we're dealing here. It's not a 20th century amendment. This was um certainly excuse me. It's not like a 20 20th century amendment. This wasn't recent. Um, it was certainly there in the first dozen or so decades after the gospel was written to bring a well-rounded completion to um, the book of Mark. Originally, it ended with verse 8, like I mentioned before, um, but there was no mention of the resurrection or any interactions with the disciples. Um, but that doesn't mean the resi- the resurrection didn't happen because we can look at other writings that were written before the other gospels, um, mainly the writings of Paul, um, to see that the resurrection was widely believed. Um, it wasn't just uh, an addition that somebody was like, okay, well, to make this gospel right. uh, more relevant, we have to we have to write this so that they believe that it actually happened. We have yeah some of the epistles are uh, or the letters uh, of the different apostles are predated before the gospels yeah. are written and they all assume that Jesus died and rose yep. again and is God. Yeah. And so the faith that Mark reflects, um, namely that Jesus has been raised up or lifted up to heaven, 
is precisely parallel to that of Paul, who in his earliest witness to this understanding of Jesus' resurrection, um, Paul notably, he parallels his own visionary experience uh, to that of Peter and James and the rest of the apostles. And what this means is that Paul wrote in uh, the 50s, um, you know, about 50 years after Jesus, um, this was the resurrection faith of the early followers of Jesus. He wasn't just somebody that was um, just by happenstance, like nailing it, like just mm-hmm. guessing. This was a widely believed um, part of the entire Christian experience is that Jesus died for three days and rose again on that third day. Um, Luke and John also come much later and they clearly reflect this as well. They didn't start writing until, like we said, after Paul um, was was around. And so all in all, I, I'll bring a conclusion to this. All in all, we still believe that this part of the uh, chapter is accurate, but some don't believe that it would be, quote unquote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and and because of this, your Bibles, like I said, might not have it or might have it separated from the original ending, um, much like the Apocrypha, which is um, 12 or 14 books. Um, it's 12 or 14 books um, in addition to the Bible that actually the Catholic Church um, – they they actually incorporated those they um they indoctrinated them into the bible for the the catholic church um and here's the deal it's great literature um it doesn't um have to be inspired by the holy spirit for it to be great literature but we also want to understand that it's not technically inspired the apocrypha has a bunch of great insight bunch of great stuff but there's some like little errors in it that didn't get it right. canonized. Um, and the same thing is with this. This isn't um, full of errors. In fact, they actually take the the endings um, from Luke, Matthew, and John, and they kind of pull it together and they get the ending of the book of Mark yeah, in, from this. In the Bible and the Gospels, there's a few different spots uh, where you'll see, you know, those little addendums like earliest manuscripts don't include this ch- section. Um, none of those things are contradictory to the Bible, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then – the themes that are expressed in those different stories, because there's this one, there's in John, uh, the story of Jesus writing in the sand, and then there's um, there's a third one that can't – oh, at the end of the Lord's Prayer for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Yeah. Um, anyway, none of those things are uh, directly contradictory. And in fact, they're all probably good things, and you can see the thematic elements of those throughout different parts of the Bible. Um, it's just as Christians, we believe that the original manuscripts – are inspired by God, that the writings of those things were God really mm-hmm. working through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and inspiring authors to write. And so these we probably would include yeah. in that. Yeah. And that's tier. not to say that the Holy Spirit didn't inspire the person to write it, but because it was added so much later, we're going to say, hey, you know what? We're not even going to have that conversation. Yeah, we're going to say this is accurate information that was added. Um and it's good information, but we're not going to say, hey, definitively, this is inspired or not. Yeah. And so we're running up on time here a little bit. So we're just going to do a quick uh, introduction to the book of Philippians. Uh, we won't talk too much about it because next week we're actually going to be reading uh, the bulk of it. This week we're just reading the first chapter. So um, I'll save some of the stuff I wrote for that for next week. Um, but again, like we talked about, like the letter to the Ephesians, uh Philippians is written by Paul. It's written to the church in Philippi, and it's written while he's in prison in Rome. One of the really special things about the book of Philippians is, um, and especially if you contrast it with the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, <laughs> You don't even have to tell me what you're going to say yeah. because I already know what you're about to say. 1 Corinthians is basically Paul like slapping people and just like, what are you 
doing. And then uh, Philippians really is this letter of just um, – I don't want to say love because it's Paul – like thanking them. Yeah, because Paul is loving the church in Corinth by giving them some tough love there. But it really is from, – from what we gather, the church in Philippi writes Paul a letter while he's in prison and they're very concerned for him. They're worried that he's getting discouraged. Um, they wanted to – basically check in and see how he's doing. Um, it's kind of like, I, I would say, think of it like almost a hospital visit, where if you've ever been in the hospital for an extreme period of time, uh, friends popping in is one of the most life-giving things that can happen. Uh, the letter that the Philippian church wrote to Paul is probably the equivalent of being able to just visit with him. And so Paul writes back to the church at Philippi. Uh, there's no rebukes. Uh, there's no slapping people. It's really just kind of encouraging the church at Philippi. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the different verses, but when you when you read through this one, you'll see a tone um, not of discipline, but really of just encouragement, mm-hmm. which is it's 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 really cool. It's yeah. re- for lack of a better word. Yeah, and he thanks him multiple times. Oh yeah, multiple times in this, and that's what I mean. I pray that our church. Be, and not saying that we're not, so don't don't take it that way. But I just I pray that whatever church I'm at is a church like the church in Philippi, because they obviously they were encouragers, they were generous, and they were doing things the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap up this week's episode. So just a quick reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you want to check out all of our other resources, you can go uh, visit our website at grove.church. Also, do us a favor, leave us a review on uh, whatever platform you're listening on. It really helps get the podcast out there so we can grow our community of people reading the Bible together. Uh, Me and Connor read all the reviews, and thank you so much for your kind words. We had a couple come in this week that were just, you know, honestly, it means a a lot to know that uh, people are listening and, and what we're able to do here as, as part of our ministry is making a difference. So with that being said, we will see you all next week.